You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This episode is the final chapter of Cephalopod Sign, part one of my fantasy adventure novel, The Moon Shadow. Next time, we'll be continuing Woodrow's adventures in part two, The Fall of Riley Island. But first, can Woodrow rescue his new friend from the literal clutches of a giant cephalopod? Or will they all drown in a tentacled embrace? That would be a short book. But listen anyway to the exciting conclusion of Cephalopod Sign. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moon Shadow, first book of The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 1 Cephalopod Sign Chapter 5 By the time Woodrow reached the selvage vessel, the Nanamiho's tentacles held it in a crushing embrace. The ship sat much lower in the water, with the weight of the beast pulling it down. The vessel's hull creaked and squeaked, like a tin can being crushed. When Woodrow climbed aboard and stood upright, his head swam with stars till he bent forward, clasping his knees. The diving, the elaborate sign language, the swim to the shore and then back out to the ship, all after not having eaten in so many days, it had begun to take its toll on him. He took several sharp breaths, trying to clear away the spots in his vision. He remembered the girl, this was all his fault, and he had to help her. He steadied himself against the railing and looked around. The girl was lying alone on the deck, more or less where she had fallen. At the bow of the ship, the old couple was crouching in front of their altar to Iplio. Woodrow shook his head and then rushed to the girl's side. Her eyes were closed. A knot had developed on her brow. He felt warm breath under her nose. Had he read anything about reviving an unconscious person? He searched his brain for relevant information, but his thoughts were foggy. All he could think of was some silly fairy tale he had read. Think, he commanded himself. Think! The girl's eyelids fluttered. She looked up at him. Oh, good, he found himself saying. I thought I was going to have to kiss you. She wrinkled her nose. What? Never mind. We need to get out of here. The gravelly voice of the old woman came booming from the ship's bow. Ipleo judge you for your treachery, boy. We are all doomed now. Woodrow helped the girl to her feet. Don't be stupid. All we have to do is get to the shore. The couple gave him a blank look. Woodrow shrugged and turned to the girl. Let's get out of here. But when he looked into the girl's eyes, they were wide with horror. Woodrow turned around to see what she saw. Beyond the bay, 
A swell rose up against the horizon, dark with seawater, huge and aberrant. He squinted. The center of the swell looked gray and spotted white. Two black circles rose above the rest. What is that? I don't know, said the girl, but I think it's angry. The old couple saw it too and began cackling wickedly. He has heard us. The great south wind has come to avenge us. The old man squealed. Woodrow and the girl exchanged looks. The swell and the bulky thing concealed within it poured into the bay. It's going to ram us, cried the girl. Hang on to something. Woodrow grabbed her by the arm and pulled her to the rail. They managed to wrap their knuckles around the bar just at the moment of impact. A wave broke over their heads and the ship screamed, her hull turning inward. To Woodrow's surprise, the vessel's hull held. He and the girl looked down into the clear water. The shape of the beast from the swell swept by, circling back under for another charge. They saw it in its entirety. It was wide and flat, with a long, sharp tail. Its wings rippled in the water as it raced along. Looks like a giant stingray, said the girl. Could it really be the god? Don't know, but it does seem very upset with us. We need to get out of here. The girl climbed up onto the rail. What are you doing? Woodrow shouted. Follow me. We're going down. What? There are two sea monsters down there. It'll be fine. Trust me. She inhaled and dove. Woodrow took a deep breath and charged after her. He sank down in a rush of white. He could see the girl's feet beneath him, kicking deeper into the water. He followed. The great eye of the Nanamiho appeared beside him, but he kept swimming down, trying to ignore it. Off toward the deep water, he could see the giant stingray wheeling around, preparing its second attack. Below him were the girl, and farther down, a sunken vessel, capsized but jutting up. The girl disappeared beneath the sunken vessel. Woodrow followed. His lungs were burning for air, but he had long since passed the point where he could return to the surface before losing consciousness. All he could do was keep pushing water back, diving deeper. He had just reached the sunken ship when he heard a deep boom from above, then the scream of the salvaged ship's hull cracking. Woodrow looked up to see the Nanamiho squirming, writhing, falling through the clear water, its form a dark, billowing mass blocking out the sun. It's coming down right on top of me. Woodrow felt something hook him by the back of his shirt collar and pull him backward. The girl dragged him through a gash in the sunken ship's hull. A second later, he emerged into darkness and stale air, gasping for breath. Take it easy, said the girl. A deep rumble troubled the water, then another. The hull of the sunken ship sheltering them vibrated. That doesn't sound good, came the girl's voice in the darkness. They must be fighting out there, Woodrow reasoned. Wish I could see that. The girl was fiddling with something in the water. Then a light emerged. She held it up, 
and Woodrow could see her features hued in green. Bioluminescent light stick, she explained. It's filled with glowing algae. I always keep one on me. Woodrow drifted closer to her. How do you know this was down here? He asked. What? This air pocket. Oh, I don't know. Figured we'd find something like this. You figured? It was just a hunch. Wait, you had us dive into monster-infested waters because you had a hunch there might be an air pocket in one of these sunken ships? It might have been a safer bet to swim to shore, the girl said with a thoughtful frown. But my father always tells me the safe bet never has the big payoff. Woodrow shook his head. I'm not sure this is the sort of situation your father had in mind. She smiled and rubbed the knot on her brow. Probably not. But to be fair, I'd just hit my head pretty hard. Why did you listen to me? Woodrow shrugged. You seemed so confident. Yeah, I have that gift. She gestured at the dark chamber around them. And things usually work out. They both laughed. It sounded like the battle was moving away from them. What's your name? said the girl. I'm Cassandra. Oh, I guess I never told you. My name's Woodrow. She nodded. I might actually need to hitch a ride with you on your airship, Woodrow. I don't know. I'll have to see your tattoo of passage first. She gave him a look and then laughed again. It was more than an hour before the tumult finally subsided. At one point, it sounded like the two monstrous creatures were right outside again, tumbling and spinning and pummeling each other. The fight ended with a deep moan and what sounded like air surfacing in a mass of bubbles. The two youngsters looked at each other as a long silence ensued. I think it's over, said Cassandra, whispering. The water had darkened by the time they emerged from hiding. As they swam to the surface, Woodrow searched the bottom of the bay with his eyes. He could not see the Nanamiho anywhere. When the pair arrived at the shore, they collapsed in the wet sand. They rolled over and looked up at the sky, now reddening. The moon had risen above the line of trees to the east. All the best philosophers, at least the ones Woodrow had read, believed the moon had once been a perfect disk in the sky, but it had been shattered at some point before recorded history. Now the moon floated in half a dozen major pieces and many, many smaller ones, a plate broken against the heavenly vault. Do you ever wonder how it got like that? Cassandra asked. No one knows, but that's the way it will always be. There's nothing anyone can do about it, said Woodrow. His voice was flat with exhaustion. He was thinking about his home, now raised to the ground, his father dead, Tamberline lost, and that Nanamiho either dead or wounded somewhere in the sea. Everything was broken, irrevocably shattered into countless pieces. I think it's beautiful, said Cassandra, still watching the moon. Woodrow looked at her, his eyes still red with the salt water. You two are going to answer for this, came a gravelly voice. Woodrow and Cassandra sat up. Old leather bag and gravel throat stood hunched and dripping, panting and spitting with fury. Cassandra rolled her eyes. 
You had a knife to my throat. You got what was coming to you. At this, the old sea hag produced the very same knife. You little tart. Woodrow stood. You better drop that knife. Or what? Snarled Leatherbag. Or my great cat is going to tear your arms off. The old salvagers looked befuddled. Then Leatherbag noticed Tamberline approaching from the jungle. He yelped. Tamberline trotted toward them, paying the strangers no heed. She had a dead jungle rat dangling from her jaws. She laid the rat before Woodrow and went off a few feet to dig in the sand and relieve her bowels. Cassandra and the salvagers watched all this with uniform, slack-jawed expressions. Thanks, Tam-Tam. I don't suppose you found anything a little more edible, though? You have a pet great cat? Cassandra exclaimed. That's impressive. She's a family pet, Woodrow shrugged as if the wild animal really did mind him, the way normal pets did. Um, Cassandra said, pointing over Woodrow's shoulder. Is that your ship? Woodrow turned. Yep, that's the moon shadow. Wow, it's, it's incredible. Woodrow looked at the flying vessel, as though seeing it for the first time. Yeah, I guess it is. So, are you going to give me a ride or not? said Cassandra. I suppose. Come on, Tam-Tam, let's go. Say, do you know anything about fishing, Cassandra? I'm starving. Cassandra looped her arm in Woodrow's. I, my good sir, she said, am an excellent fisherman. Welcome to my crew, then. We have great need of your services. What about us? The old sea hag moaned. You wrecked our ship. Leave them, said Cassandra. They'll cut your crew's throats as soon as they're aboard. You haven't met my crew. I think they'd have a hard time cutting their throats, Woodrow said, and then waved the couple over. Let's go. But I'm dropping you two scoundrels off at the nearest port, got it? They set off toward the moon shadow. Hartford must have seen them from the bridge, because the airship wheeled around in a shallow loop to come toward them. Is there... an... Angel standing at the bow of your ship? asked Cassandra, stopping momentarily. The old salvagers gaped upward, suddenly apprehensive. It's a demon, said Leatherbag, his voice wavering. I thought that was just a rumor. Please, just leave us here. Nonsense, said Woodrow. He's not a demon, and he probably won't even notice you. Cassandra leaned into Woodrow. You really have an angel on your crew? Woodrow sighed. It's a long story. I'll tell it to you later. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Mackenzie Stubbard. Consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more lies and half-truths.